truth. So we teach the gospel, we teach the Bible with, with in, in undiluted form, and we are not ashamed of power, and we're not ashamed of purposes, but everything else is open to negotiation. We're not trying to create an atmosphere that when people come into it, they're a little intimidated. We're not trying to dazzle people with the beauty of the building. We want to dazzle you with the beauty of who Jesus is. Come on, because that's it. The building should never overshadow His glory. I'm all for a beautiful building, so if you got one you want to donate it, we're all in. All right? I'm not against that. But that's not the first purpose of it all. It's what Jesus wants. One of our things as Christians, we have to understand we are called sons and daughters. That's our high calling. But as sons and daughters, we are servants of our Father. Sons and daughters serve their Father. We are about our Father's business. So while we, we talk a lot about being sons and daughters here, it's also important to illustrate what it means to be a servant. And the Bible uses two Greek words for this. It uses the word, you, can, you guys want to speak some Greek, some koine, some ancient Greek? I'm going to give it to you. Say it with me. Doulas. And I'll give you the second one. Diakonos. Okay, so doulos means bondservant. Literally, if you want the literal interpretation, it means slave. Whatever you tell me, I do. That's what it means to serve Christ. He didn't say whatever you feel like you do. Whatever he says, we do. It's what Mary told the servants at the wedding feast, didn't she? We're out of wine. We don't have any wine. What are we going to do? Go see Jesus. Mary, bring him to Jesus, and Mary gives them the greatest advice of all. She tells the servants, whatever he says, you do it. And they did exactly what he said. And there's the key of transformation. The water went into wine. Transformation comes when we do what the Lord says. Understand that? Oftentimes we think, well, if I'm not feeling it, then I don't have to do it. Well, who said you had to feel it? If you feel it, it's called agreement. If you do it when you don't feel it, it's called submission. You see the difference? Well, I feel like it. Well, then you're in agreement. I don't feel like it, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's called submission, the parable of the sons. Father tells the one son, tells one son, I need you to do this. The son says he does it and doesn't do it. Tells the other son, I need you to do this. Son says, I don't feel like it. I don't want to do it, but he does it anyway. And he asks, which one was the son? Which one is the son before the father? The one who says they'll do it, but doesn't? Or the one that says, I don't want to do it. I don't feel like it, but I do it anyway. That's the son. So we see sons and daughters are in direct relationship and direct context to servitude. So we have to understand that as Christians and believers, we are servants of our, of our Father. We are servants of our Lord and our Master, if you will. Whatever He says, I do. Whether I understand it, whether I feel like it, and say this with me, it's okay, it's okay. to not know, not know what you're doing. That's what I love about Jesus. You don't have to know what you're doing. You just have to be willing. All you got to do is step out and he'll start coaching you along the way. He'll take even your mumblings and your fumblings and your stumblings, and he'll turn them into something. That's how good he is. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't even have to know what you're doing. You just have to be willing. And when you're willing, he begins to work with it. The second word is diakonos. And diakonos is where we get the word deacon, and what it literally means is table waiter. Okay? So as sons and daughters, we're servants. We're bond slaves, and we're table waiters. So what does that mean? It's your job and my job to give Jesus what he's ordering. And say this with me. If I give Jesus what he's ordering, he will pay for it, and he will give me a tip. That's right. When we give the Lord what he wants, so it's like you, you go out to lunch this afternoon, you're going to sit down, you're going to go, hey, I want nachos, and the waiter brings you fish chips, or fish sticks. You know what I'm saying? Now, would that be a good waiter or not? You say, man, dude, I ordered nachos. Yeah, but I felt like bringing you fish, chips, fish sticks. People are going, what kind of restaurants do you go to, Kevin? I, you know. But th th that would not be a good waiter. If you're ordering something and then the waiter goes, well, I just felt like that's what I wanted to give you. 
I don't really feel like giving you nachos, even though that's what you ordered. I feel like fish and chips is more your speed, so that's what I'm giving you. You probably wouldn't eat at that restaurant again. You probably wouldn't use that waiter again. You most definitely wouldn't leave a tip. You'd be leaving. That's not a good waiter. So if we understand the concept of what it means to be a waiter, what is the Lord asking for? Is this what the Lord is asking for? Then it's my job to give him what he's asking for. It's my job to bring to him what it is that he has asked of me. That's the idea. That's how, what it means. So we have to understand servant is doulos and his deacon is diakonos. It's table waiter. So we're both bond slaves, and we're also, but we're sons and daughters. You understand that? We have rights and inheritances, but we act like sons and daughters when we know what it means to be servants. We understand what it means to be servants. So Jesus tells this story. He says, a certain man was preparing a banquet, and he invites his guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sends his servants to invite those who had been invited. He says, hey, come. Come to church. Come to come Jesus. Come be a part of what God is doing. Look who what I have found. We need to bring you into this place. Everything is ready. But they began to make excuses. I just bought a field. I got to go see it. Dude, I just started a business. My online store is just really taking off. It's really consuming my time. I don't really have time for this. Nobody's got, I got time for it. Next guy says, oh, I bought a yoke of oxen. I, dude, I just got the new Mercedes-Benz AMG. Okay? Have you seen that car? I'm, I don't have time for this. I'm going to go take my car out. I'm going to go drive it. I got all these other things to do. I don't have time for this. This isn't where I have time for Another one says, please excuse me, I got married, I can't come. Dude, you don't understand. I got a wife, I got three kids, it's like a circus, it's like a rodeo. Who's got time for this? And so what does the Lord do? Does he think he's pleased with those excuses? He's not pleased with those excuses at all. And so he tells the servants, then go out and invite anybody you come across. Go out and invite if the ones who have honorable positions will not respond to my invitation. Then go find just the regular people. Go find the ordinary. And so they go out and they begin to invite the ordinary. And the ordinary begin to come. And then he says, well, the ordinary have come, Lord, but there's still room. And what does he say? Then go and find whatever you have found. Go to the streets, go to the alleyways of the town, bring the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, bring anybody. Carry them here, drag them here, do whatever you got to do. And the master said to his servant, go to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in. Compel them. What does it say? So that, say it with me, so that my house may be full. It is God's desire that as many people as can possibly be reached be brought under the influence of his gospel and be interconnected to his church. That's what he wants. And that is your, say it with me, that's my job, that's the church's job, and it's the pastor's job. What Christians often think is, no, that's your job, pastor. It's not my job. It's not my job. My job is to, I have a responsibility in my own individual life. I have responsibility corporately, but you individually have responsibility too, Christian. You have an oikos, you have a center of influence, you have a group of people that are around you, and you may be the only Jesus they ever encounter. And if you don't tell them Jesus isn't going to have a divine appearing, I can tell you that. He might, you know, but I doubt he's going to be stepping through the wall because he's commissioned a body. He steps through the wall or he does divine appearings, theophanies, only when there is no witness. But so long as there's a witness around the person, he's looking to the person that is called to be the witness to be the witness. So I'm sharing all this with you, and I'm going to tell you it's very easy. Say, it's very easy. Right? Okay. It's not, it's not complicated. You don't have to be Billy Graham. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to be, you know, the proclaimer of all truth to, to, to invite someone or to reach someone. Next slide. It's what we're commanded to do. Mark 16, Matthew 28. Everybody say this word with me. Go. He doesn't say if you feel like it. doesn't say if you want to. Go everywhere. Proclaim the gospel, the good news. Call out people and call people unto Jesus. So you understand the Bible. The Bible has specific structures. 
Greek, ancient Greek, was what the Old Testament was written in. And there's a specific structure. One of them is an emphatic imperative, and it means it's a command. When you read it in an emphatic imperative, there is no option. You don't get to debate it. This is what's called an emphatic imperative. He's not asking you to debate it. He's not asking you if you feel like it. He's telling you to do it. He's saying, go. He said, I don't know what I'm doing. He said, that's okay, just go. You're going to learn as you go. You're going to learn as you go, and as you step out, and as you do this, I'm going to work with you, hands-on. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you what you're doing wrong, what you're doing right, what you need to do, how to get better. I'm going to show you all of it. That's what he does. But we don't learn and grow as Christians because we never step out. We don't understand that's the way the Lord operates in our life, is by stepping out. We have to step out in faith. The water didn't part until the priest brought the ark in. Peter didn't walk on the water until he stepped out onto it. We have to step into that, and that's how God works. So we're commanded to do it. It's an emphatic imperative. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. That's an emphatic imperative too. I cannot, for the life of me, understand why the church disobeys that commandment. That's why we pray for the sick, because he called us to, right? That's why we lay hands on the sick, because he told us to. We do it because he said to, not because we feel like it or because we think it's a good idea. We don't do it that way. We do it because he said to do it. Emphatic imperative. Number two, so it is what we're commanded to do. Number three, here's a big one. It's who we are. Understand? We are that. The Bible tells us that we're living epistles. We are living poems. We are letters being written. Paul says this, 2 Corinthians, everything comes from the Lord. Everything, all of the blessings, all of the future, all of the promises, all of the forgiveness that we as believers have been given has been given to us by the Lord. Aren't you glad? Come on. And it is Christ, and Christ has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Say this with me. I have a ministry. No, Pastor, you have the ministry. No, every Christian has a ministry. It's called the ministry of reconciliation. We are a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood. Okay? That's what the Bible tells us in Peter. We are royal priests. What is a priest? Ministering unto the Lord, receiving from the Lord, ministering one to the other, and ministering unto the world. That's what it means to be a priest. And all y'all are royal priests. You don't have to, you get to. Jesus puts an honor over your life that you didn't ask for. He honors you. Anybody ever called you a royal priest before? Anybody ever called you royal? I doubt it. You're called royal. God looks at you and says, you are divine royalty. You are supernatural royalty. You are my priest. You minister unto me. I minister unto you. I help you minister one to the other, and I help you minister to the world. That's what we are. And he says, Christ reconciling the world back to us. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors. We are the representation of Jesus to the world. And I want to just blow this one up because this is important. It's not your righteousness that testifies to the world. Don't smoke, drink, or chew, or hang out with those that do. That's not what tells people you're a believer. You don't have any righteousness. Let's just be clear. Any righteousness that you've received has been given to you by the Lord. So there's no righteousness that you possess. There's no glory, and there's no boasting in yourself. What testifies of Christ to the world is the constant encounters of victory that the believer has. It's not the fact that the believer doesn't go through extremely difficult situations. It's what happens to the believer as they go through that becomes the light to the world. Because we walk through what others sink in. That's the difference. Everybody sinks in the waves. We walk through them. Everybody is consumed by the water. The Bible says you pass through it, but you will not be overtaken. 
Everybody is burned by the fire, but we are not. You will pass through the fires and you will not be burned. That's, that's the destiny of the Christian. He didn't say you won't go through trialful times or hard times. He never said that. He even said that your house, because it's built on the rock, will stand. The waves will come. The waves will rise. All of that stuff's going to happen. The people who don't know the Lord, their house is going to come down and your house is going to be standing. And they're going to go, why? You, that's what testifies. It's not, you know, oh my gosh, I got my hair above my, my back of my ears. I got my collar buttoned up. I got my shirt. I got, a, you know, ladies are wearing, a, a, you know, dresses that come down all the way. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But that is not what testifies. We don't wear makeup in this church because of, no, that's not here. But there are churches that don't wear makeup because they think it's holy. They think it's holy. Well, who told you that? It's holy, Kevin. We don't wear makeup. Really? Wow. Huh. Anyway, that's just a thought. I'm, I digress. <laughs> but the, the point, the point is, is that you, what I'm trying to get across to you is that you as a person and your lifestyle is not the light. Your faith is the light. Your trust is the light. The constant power of God operating in and through you. Man, how did you survive that? I've known people that went through that and they would have been destroyed. That's, that's the difference. Man, you went through hard financial times, but man, you came out ahead. How did you land on your feet? Oh, you just must be special. There must be something. No, it's the Lord. That's the point. Come on. Yeah. That's what, that's what testifies. So it's who we are. It's what we're commanded to be. We're ambassadors. We're representing God in, in the world, and it's who we are. It's who we are. People go, oh, you never go through any hard times. You have no idea the hard times I go through. They may say that to you. They may go, wow, you're just such a happy person. You never seem to ever, nothing ever seems to go wrong. Are you kidding? It's just we have the Lord. So there's a joy in us. There's a power in us. There's a presence in us that's different from those who don't have it. We do not grieve as they who have no hope, the Bible says. We have hope. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Okay, next slide. So it's what we're commanded to do. It's who we are. You have to understand this is who I am. Christianity is a lifestyle. It's what God has called me into living this as a lifestyle. It's what we do. So how do we do it? This is the big question. Here's the first one. View everyone you meet as an assignment. One of the ways you become a light and you become you be able to share your faith is you have to begin to see things, people, places, and things differently. You have to view the people that you run into as an assignment. I'll give you one right here. I didn't read this in first, verse, first service, but I'll read it now. Paul was waiting for them in Athens. So here's Paul. He's waiting for them in a city. He's waiting for his friends, his brothers, his sisters to come to him. He's waiting for his other people to come and meet him there. And as Paul's waiting for him in the city... He was greatly distressed to see the city full of idols. Huh? He was greatly distressed. You're in a city that's biblical. Have you ever looked around Miami? It's greatly distressing. Okay? There's lots of idols here. There's lots of crazy stuff going on here. Everything that's known to man is going on here. I love to talk to my friends that live in the Midwest and everything. And they're like, oh, you know, brother, it's really hard here. I'm like, really? They're doing blood sacrifices in your city? They're killing chickens and putting them on the road in your city? They're doing it in mine. <laughs> they're doing full moon feed, you know, all the chickens, I used to live in the Upper East Side over, you know, Little Haiti was to the, to the, to the west, and we'd see, you know, we were kind of sort of on the, the better side, and so we, but we'd still see chickens running around, right, and then every time there was a full moon, you didn't see those chickens anymore, <laughs> we'd be like, where'd the chickens go, and then it dawned on me, I was like, oh, <laughs> I'd find stuff on my street corner, man. I'd find eggs put around my tree because we lived on the corner. Crazy stuff, dude. Psycho stuff. People that, would, people that don't live here wouldn't have any relationship to it at all. But we do. We understand it. 
The city is given over to idols. The city is given over to witchcraft, idolatry, Miami, drugs, licentiousness. Everything that's possible is going on here. You should feel honored that God has called you here. You're in a New Testament city. This is New Testament. You're in Corinth, you're in Athens, you're in all, you're in all that together. All that combined right here, melting pot, right here. <laughs> so Paul's greatly distressed. It bothers him. So what's he do? He said, man, i got to go out and invite some people to Jesus, or at least invite them to church. I'm teaching down the street, so I should at least get some people to come. So he reasoned with them in the synagogues, both Jews and the God-fearing Greeks. So he found the people, he found the Christians that weren't connected to church. Gave them a couple of high karates and told them, you need to be connected to church. It's not, it's not God's will for you to be outside of a church. Every Christian is called to be connected to a body. Everyone. You don't have any excuse. Oh, I don't like church. I don't like this church. I don't like that. I don't like. Listen, you've got the Baskin Robbins of churches in America. Find one that connects. You're welcome here. You know, people are like, this is the coolest church in the world, man. And I'm like, stick around. We're going to do something wrong. I, rest assured. <laughs> it's, just, it's inevitable you got to be able to get past your offenses, and you have to be able to connect to a family and connect to a body and get over yourself. It's not you, Jesus, in your Bible. It's not. So he goes out and finds the God-fearers and says, come into the kingdom. Come into the family. And then he goes out into the marketplace. And what does he do? I love this. He went out every day, and he reasoned, say this with me, with those who happened to be there. In other words, everybody he encountered, he viewed as an assignment. Whoever he's encountering, whoever's there, he's like, oh, this must be the mission. This must be the, this must be the assignment. This must be the person the Lord wants me to talk to. This must be the person I need to share with. He began to reason with whoever he encountered in the marketplace. You can take the marketplace as your neighborhood. You can take the marketplace as your workplace. You can take the marketplace as your school. You can take it any way you want. But whoever Paul was encountering, he viewed it as his assignment. I'll give you one. I'll give you two, two quick stories, I hope. Right? One story, I went to Oklahoma, I shared this in first service, it kind of went over well, so hopefully you guys won't judge me in the light of what I'm about to share. So I went to Oklahoma, and I went to a conference, right? It was a prophetic conference, we're all into the spirit here. But Elevate Miami Church is what we would call charismatic, spirit-filled with a seatbelt. You understand? This was not charismatic with a seatbelt. This was charismatic without a seatbelt. Okay, so it was wild, it was crazy, it was all that. It wasn't my scene, necessarily. You understand? So I'm going to a place that's not really my scene, but I feel like the Lord is telling me to go there. And as I go there, I'm praying and I'm asking the Lord, and I feel like the Lord is telling me, I want you to submit and yield. He told me, turn off your prejudices, you know, because we tend to be judgmental, don't we, about the way things are done. Well, I wouldn't do it that way. That isn't the way we did it back when the church I grew up in. We tend to be judgmental. So I felt like the Lord said, I don't want you to give an opinion about anything. I don't want you to process this in any negative way. I want you to humble your heart, yield to the process, and if you will do that, I will show you something. So I went there, and I kept my mouth shut. I didn't say anything. Sherry knows. He's like, what's going on? Oh, my gosh, you know, dude's hurtling chairs. I know he's something like that. But I didn't say anything. I humbled myself beneath the process. I yielded to everything the Lord was doing. And then one day I was there. I was there for four days. I felt like the Lord told me, every person you encounter at this conference is your assignment. I want you to bless them, and I want you to share something with them. I want you to give something of your life into theirs. Look for an opportunity to bless them in any way. And so I started doing that. You know what happened? started snowballing. 
I start sharing with people, encouraging people, talking to people. I gave a word to this one guy, guy standing in the back all by himself. You know, for whatever reason, the Lord's highlighting him. It was like there was a glow on him. I could just see like, okay, so I guess I'm supposed to talk to this guy. Start sharing with him, start doing some stuff with him, talking to him, blessing him, encouraging him. And this guy just let up like a Christmas tree. He runs around staring at everybody. Oh, this guy gave me a prophetic word. This guy did inner healing with me, man. I feel like I'm free. I feel like I'm, you know, he starts, and all of a sudden I had all these people started coming up to me and asking me questions. Because all I did was view people as an assignment. Wasn't what I felt like. Wasn't what I was in the mood for. And I most certainly, here's what we do. We don't want to be inconvenienced. You know what I'm saying? Jesus wants to interrupt your life. We don't like interruptions. But he interrupts our lives with people. He interrupts our lives with places and he interrupts our lives with things. And so what we have to be willing to do is view people as an assignment. Even the ones that annoy you. And I'll talk about that in a minute. When you're encountering people and you're viewing them as an assignment, the bridges into people's lives, okay? We have bridges. There's, there's ways, it, people, there are bridges. And those bridges are created through tension. Those bridges are created through transition. And those bridges are created through tragedy. Unfortunately, we are so prideful that we don't come to Jesus unless we're in one of those conditions. We're not even open to the gospel. And a lot of Christians leave churches and leave fellowship when none of that's going on in their life. But as soon as this starts happening in their life, boom, they flip right back in. Because God uses the tensions in our life, he uses the transitions in our life, and he uses the tragedies in our life to get our attention. And most of the people that you serve or encounter, those are the things that you're looking for. If they're going through something, you minister and serve into that. Somebody may have moved to your neighborhood. They may be in transition. They may be new in your workplace. Those are the people that are, that, that's a bridge. Say, hey, wow, why don't you come to lunch with me? Oh, hey, I got a life group. Why don't you come to my life group with me? You know what? I, you know, why don't you come to church with me, meet some new people? We, nah, nah, nah. People that are going through tension and transitions. Trenchin. There may be tension. There may be financial pressure. There may be job-related. There may be life issues. We aren't to just go, oh, well, that's nice. Oh, you know, I feel so bad for you. We're not just to give them empathy. That's all what we do. We just give them empathy, and we think we did our job. You know, hey, can I pray for you? If you're that person, then pray for them. Then you say, well, why don't you come to church with me? And let the, somebody's going to pray with you. Why don't you come and talk to the pastor or talk to the elders? Or talk? And listen, I'm not by any means trying to make myself more busy than I am. But nonetheless, those are the questions that we ask. And when you find people in those moments and you're talking with them and somebody is sharing with you attention in their life, they're trusting you with something. And God's just handing you a piece of gold. And he's wondering, what are you going to do with it? When people open up and they show you that you realize that they're in transition and they allow you into that space, they're giving you something. What are you going to do with it? When you become aware of a tragedy in someone's life, again, God, something's being given to you. What are you going to do with it? We invite them. And when you invite people to church, you say this. I'm going to tell it with me. Why don't you, come on, come to church with me this Sunday? You never ask, would you like to? Would you like to come to church with me? You know why? Because almost the instant response is no. But when you go, why don't you come to church with me on Sunday? Then people actually got to start thinking, well, why don't I? I'm not really sure. Would you is kind of like an emotional thing. No, I don't really want to do that. But when you ask, why don't you come to church with me this Sunday? We can get prayer. You know, I'll take you to lunch. We'll meet up. Why don't, why don't you come to church with me this Sunday? It's easy as that. And those are bridges, open doors and open bridges come through those transitions. Loss of a family, loss of jobs, disappointments, even disappointments in their own life. One of the people here, I'm going to point you out, Lupe, I've got to use your story because you're here. You weren't here first service, so I shared it all, but I'll share it, I'll share it. So I met Lupe on an airplane a few years back, 
So I get on an airplane, I sit down in a chair, she's sitting next to me, she's probably rolling her eyes, oh God. Me, I'm sitting down and, I, and you know, I'm sitting down and I hear the Lord's just poking on me. Like, and I'm like, what? You want me to talk to her? I've just been through security, shoved my bags up here, I'm sweating, I'm tired, I'm sitting down. Wait, you know what I'm talking about? I'm waiting for the stewardess and you're telling me to talk to her right now? And I'm like, so I had to calm myself and I had to let it marinate a little bit. And I had to ask the Lord, okay, create a bridge. Create a bridge. And she was reading a book by a pastor named Bill Hybels. What was the title of the book? Holy Discontent. Holy, she's reading a book about being discontent. About being, so is she, is she in tension, transition, or tragedy? She's probably in somewhere in there. She's looking for something. She's reading that book. Boom, instant bridge. Began to talk to her. I'm a pastor at a church. Da, da, da. Went on for that. Then we were just friends. She read her book. We flew on a plane. It was all good. Went like that. Then she calls her brother. Hey, I met this guy on the airplane. I don't know about her brother's, Your brother's a pastor, right? Yeah. And her brother's like, Lupe, that's the Lord. That is totally the Lord. You need to, you need to, you need to move on that. But these are things. These are divine encounters. These are things that happen in our lives that we have to begin to treat the people. I could share more with you, but you have to treat the people that come into you as an assignment. It may be to invite them to church. It may be to encourage them. It may be to release something into their lives. If you operate in prophetic ministry, and you haven't, and you, that's why we put such an emphasis on it here, is to teach and train you on how to operate in the prophetic, is because it is an insanely powerful tool when you're sharing with someone and you're bringing something into someone's life because you begin to see them as the Lord sees them. You begin to speak something that's life-giving into their life and all of a sudden their whole heart opens up to you. The Bible says that when we operate in prophetic ministry, the secrets of hearts are known. And that's not just through words of knowledge. People begin to open up their whole life to you. It's amazing when it happens. Don't ever go to lunch with Hank. He'll put you out there. Especially if you've been through his prophetic class. He'll look at you and go, you got a word for that waitress? <laughs> anyway. These are the things we're looking for. These are the things that we use. These are the ways that we, these are some of the tools that we do. So next slide. So you have to view people differently. These people aren't in your life for accidents. They're there on purpose. And God is looking for you to do something. Number two, use what you have. Matthew didn't have a lot. Matthew is a tax collector named Levi. Crazy story. I'll share it with you. Some of you are going into this, you're going to identify it. Levi is a guy in the Bible whose name was changed to Matthew. Jesus loves to change people's names. He just, he just does it. Jacob became Israel. Peter, Saul, or Saul became Paul. You know, uh, see Peter, uh, Simon, thank you. Simon became Peter. You get the story. But Levi is a guy who was uh, a guy who knew his Bible. He quotes more Old Testament than any of the other gospel writers, which tells you he knew it. The fact that he is quoting the scripture to the level, that means he knew it. His name's Levi, which probably means he was a priest, which means his whole family were of the tribe of Levi. He was trained in the Levitical priesthood, but something happened with Levi that he didn't want anything to do with it, and he left it. In other words, he was like in revolt against the whole system. So most people, when they're part of something that they don't want to be a part of anymore, they just distance themselves. I'm going to go work in a bank. I'm going to go work in a warehouse. I might become a fisherman. I don't know, but I just want to get to... Not Levi. Levi became a tax collector. He came up against the whole system. I'm Levi. I'm the tax collector. Aren't you a tribe of Levi? Yeah. Aren't you a Jew? Yeah. Aren't you working for the Romans? Yeah. You got a problem with it? But as soon as he saw Jesus, he encountered what he had been hoping for his whole life. Levi was looking for truth, not religion. Levi was looking for reality, not pretense and form. As soon as he met Jesus, he left it all like that. 
And what's interesting is people don't give Levi credit. They don't give Matthew credit. Peter, James, and John, all those guys, they left their fishing nets. So when they had a little bit of distance there, what did Peter, James, and John do? They went back to fishing. Matthew couldn't go back to his occupation. Once you left the tax collector's table, there was no turning back. And so a lot of people don't give Matthew the credit that he's deserved. Number one is he didn't want religion, he wanted reality. He didn't want something like this form and this function and this staleness. He wanted life. And when he found it, he gave up everything for it. He knew what it was going to cost him. He couldn't go back to that table. You had to pay the Roman government to be a tax collector. And believe me, there were people waiting in line for that job. And so he didn't have it anymore. It was gone. But here he has nothing. He encounters Jesus, and he says, you know what? I don't have anything, but I got a house. And I know a lot of people in low places. Think Garth Brooks. I got friends in low places. You'll know Matthew. Okay? Sinners and tax collectors. He had all the friends in low places. And he said, I'm going to bring the friends in low places. I'm going to have a party, and I'm going to invite Jesus. He used what he had. What do you have? What do you have? What do you do? Can you say, come along? Can you say, hey, why don't you come with me? Can you do that? And we have to look for the bridges to invite. Say this with me. I don't need all the answers. You don't. Woman at the well, okay? When we talk about woman at the well, Jesus is having a conversation with her. Have you ever read that story? She's acting like she's a theologian, and she don't know what she's talking about. You know what I'm saying? She don't even know her Bible. Jesus is like going, I don't, I, wait, who taught you that? What? What are you talking? And so it wasn't an issue. She didn't have the answers. So clearly, but when she encountered the Lord, the woman who didn't have the answers, she didn't even know. She went back and brought the whole town. She went and invited people. She said, look, you guys got to come and see. There's life in this place. There's life with this person. There's life in the one that I've met. You've got to come. And they all went. They all went. And she didn't have any answers. She couldn't even quote her Bible. Well, our fathers say worship on this mountain, and you say worship on this mountain. I mean, it's a confusing story if you read it. Invite them. So if you invite them, someone will talk to them. Here's a big one. Say this. I will reach, I will reach the people, people who are just like me. Typically, you are not people like, oh, I don't want to pray. I don't want to believe God to be a missionary. He may send me to Africa. He may send me to Egypt. He may send me to, he, he, chances are he's not going to, unless you're already acclimated to that culture or unless you already have an understanding or a desire to learn that culture. The people you're going to reach are the people just like you. The people that work the same jobs as you, the people that go to the same places as you, the people that have the same children as you, those are the people that you're going to reach. Your highest probability of people that you reach are the ones that are immediately around you. In, it's called affinity. You're not really going to reach people beyond your affinity circles. You can, but most likely you're going to meet, reach the ones that are immediately around you. What worked on you? That's the second one. How did you get here? How did you get to Jesus? What brought you to Christ? Did somebody invite you? How, how did it happen? Chances are that's the mechanism that God will use, you, use with you towards other people, just like you. That's what happens, right? So here's, here's a saying. I have to say this. I know people think it's corny, but it's truth. Say this with me. People, people come, to Jesus come to Jesus on the arms of a loving friend. That's just the reality. People come to Christ through their friends, through their family members, or through somebody who cares about them. That's really how it happens. People don't come. One of them, here's another truth. The church is a female in form from the scripture. And people have all these weirdnesses. Some people don't have any issue with it. Women don't have any issue with it. They're like, woo, woman power, yeah. But sometimes people have problems. Well, why did God, turn, why did God say that his church is like a bride? Why did God say his church is like a woman? Because it speaks to the nature of the woman. The woman bears children. 
And the woman nurtures the children, develops them primarily. I'm not saying the dad's not involved. So the seed of Christ into the church bears fruit and bears children, and those children are to be nurtured and developed. That's what the church is for. Not everybody can lead people to Jesus, but you most definitely can invite somebody to church. And here at church, and you get, they, they come more than once, they come two, three times, they're going to get the clear gospel. That we're, we will invite them to come to know the Lord. And most often people are magnetized or want to be a part of it because of the atmosphere. Well, the atmosphere is his presence. Just bring them into the atmosphere. That's the goal. Let Jesus do the rest. If you want to lead them in the four points of salvation and you want to lead them down the Roman road, hey, go for it. If that's who you are, you want to bring them in, you want to talk to them about a divine encounter, there's lots of ways to evangelize. I'm trying to give you a very simple one. Ask why not would you? Why don't you come to church with me? Next slide. See them as Jesus sees them. This is important. I'm almost done. Got two slides. We're done. See them as Jesus sees them. This is important. Let's just be honest here. Okay, can we be honest? Most of us are, can be very annoyed with people, can't we? Most, thank you. Thank you very much. It's not just me. I feel better about myself already. All right. Most of us, given enough time, become annoyed <laughs> with people. And we really don't like people a whole lot if we're really honest, but Jesus loves people. And so in his spirit, in his, in his presence, we can love. We can love one another. That's how it is. But what we need to do is we need to see the person as Jesus sees them. So Jesus has an encounter with a guy that's called the rich young ruler. Anybody know that story? Okay, so in that story, Jesus has an encounter with this guy who's rich, has got everything going on. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the word, keep the law. Jesus was telling possibility. He wanted him to say, that's impossible, so that he could lead him down the next road. But the guy didn't do that, so he goes, everything I've done since I'm a youth. Don't you talk to me about righteousness? I know it all. I've got it all figured out. In fact, I've got every area of my life figured out. I'm wealthy, I'm rich, I've got it all figured out. And Jesus was pointing out to him the idolatry of his heart. He said, sell all that you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me. If you've kept the law of righteousness, as you say, you wouldn't hold money as an idol. Because the second commandment is have no idols before him. And Jesus was pointing it right at him and going right back at him that you, have, you say you've kept the law. Well, first of all, you can't keep the law. He didn't go into that, but he's tried to point out the idolatry of his own heart. You worship money. If you don't, then give it all away and come follow me. Let's see if you worship money. Am I the God or, or, is, or is that the God? That's what he was going with it. But Jesus, rather than being offended... So how would you like to be the savior of the world? You've come to save people. You've come to give your life away. And the person looking at you goes, I don't need what you got to offer. Just give me a couple of tips. and then I'll, you, know, you would be offended by that, and you probably would be upset. But Jesus, rather than being offended, he says this. He looked at him and loved him. Now, I've heard that taught a lot. Oh, look at the compassion of Jesus just flowing towards everyone at all times. No, I would counter that by saying his temptation was to be offended. His temptation was to be put off by this man's arrogance. His temptation was to be put off by this man's display of wealth and superiority in the face of the prophet. That was his temptation. But he chose to not be offended he chose to not look at the person's actions or words and allow that to offend him, and he turned it around and desired to look at him with love and not offense. You have, come on. You have to learn to look at people with love and not with offense. What does love mean? Love is to, in the Bible, is to look at them with the desire to benefit them. Look at them with the desire to bless them. That guy gave him every opportunity to be offended. 
Every opportunity was there, and he didn't take it. He didn't take the bait. He said, I choose to love you. I choose to look at your life and benefit you. I choose to not let you put me off or push me into an area that I'm not going to go. I choose to look at you that way. That's what love means in the Bible. Love isn't this overwhelming flood of emotion. Say this with me. You can love and not feel anything. Love's a verb, people. That's what it is. Love is an action. It's an intent. So it is possible to love and not feel anything. What we think is if we're not feeling anything, then there's no love. Who told you that? Nobody, that's not true. Jesus loved, I tell people all the time, when he's dying on the cross, he's having spikes driven into his wrist. You think he was feeling overwhelming floods of emotion of love? I doubt it. He was doing it, he was doing it on purpose. He was taking a step. He was making an action in spite of the way that he felt. So you have to see people and not allow people to offend them, offend you. And you have to intentionally look at that person to bless them. See them as God sees them. Look at them with an intent to bless them. How does the Lord see this person? And all you got to do, you ready? He'll tell you. He'll tell you. If you go, Lord, how do you see this person? What do you say about Julie? What do you say about Mary? What do you say about Peter, Paul, Joseph, whoever? I don't care. Pick a name. What do you say about this person? And he'll tell you. Loved, honored, dignity, hope. He'll give you a word for them. I just feel like there's hope for you. I just feel like, man, I just see, I just see like dignity all over you. Dignity? Why do you say dignity? I feel like the Lord wants to bring you into a more dignified position. You feel like there's been a lack of dignity in your life, and I feel like the Lord wants to bring you there. It's always an opposite. It's always where they were. God is always calling them where they need to be. That's how it works. Usually if he says honor, there's probably some big area of dishonor in their life. God wants to bring you from a place of dishonor into honor. Princess, God wants to take you from a false identity and he wants to bring you into a light of princess and goldenness and honor and cherished and loved. That's what he's doing. That's what he does. God does not condemn. He does not point fingers. I tell you guys all the time, it doesn't take a genius to find dirt in a gold mine. Okay? It takes the genius is finding the gold in the gold mine. You can look at someone and you can see all the dirt in their life and all the things that are wrong. Well, you're not a genius. Well, I just hear sin in your life. I see people say stupid stuff like that all the time. I'm like, well, thank you, genius. Thank you. I'm sure, yeah. Those are the sins you see in my life, Great. Here's five more you don't even know about. So why don't you tell me where the gold is? Why don't you tell me where the treasure is? Because we all got dirt. We all got it. There's lots of areas where we fall short. We fall short in many ways. The gold is what God is looking for, the extraction of the gold. Let me just finish with this. Barriers. This is what you, when you're talking with people, you understand where they're thinking. If you haven't thought this through or you haven't really realized it for yourself, when you're talking to people, you're trying to invite them. The first thing that people push back on is an atmosphere that's unfamiliar to them. Okay? When you say to somebody who doesn't, has never been to church, maybe he's had a bad church experiences or far from God, and you say, hey, why don't you come to church with me? That's like saying, why don't you come to the dentist? You know what I'm saying? Or why don't you come to this headhunters meeting, you know? We'll make you the subject of the conversation. People have a barrier to the unfamiliar, right? Corporations know this. That's why you can't walk into a store these days without somebody saying hi to you. You ever notice that? They got a greeter there. I mean, Walmart, Walmart hey, how you doing? Well, welcome to the store. Oh, you know, Starbucks, all of them. Because they realize that a barrier in people's lives is coming into an atmosphere that's unfamiliar to them. So how do we overcome that? Well, the church, we do things here to help people overcome that. But the way you overcome that is you say, hey, why don't you come with me? I'll meet you before. I'll give you one. I'll pick you up. We'll go have lunch afterwards. There's, a, there's something brilliant. 
You know, say, hey, why don't you meet me? No, I'll drive. I'll meet you there. Okay, I'll meet you out front. I'll meet you, I'll meet you outside. I'll meet you there. Because what you're doing is you're eliminating the barrier that they feel of coming into an environment that's uncomfortable or unfamiliar. You're the one that's familiar to them, so they're going to feel safe and sound because you're there. You know? That's how it works. Lack of acceptance. This is why people don't want to come to church. If I came to church, the walls would fall down. Lightning bolt would come through the ceiling and strike everybody dead. I'm telling you, God doesn't want me around. That's not true. You tell them, coma, coma. I love spell check. Coma. Yeah, that's where I was going. I was going with coma. <laughs> you come to church and go into a coma. You know, it's like, come as you are. That's the word. When people feel uncomfortable about that, come as you are. That's why we dismantle a lot of things here. We dismantle so much here because we want people to come as they are. The glory is Jesus, not the building. The glory is Jesus. You understand? We want people to fall in love with who he is. And we do a lot of things here that are a little off-center. We don't put a lot of liturgy in here. We could be, I could be as liturgical as they come. I know how to be religious. I know how to act like all these... I know how to do that. But at the end of the day, I, I hate myself. Because I don't feel like I'm the real person that I am. I don't feel like real. I'm saying I feel completely, you know, I'm this way on Sunday, I'm that way, I'm not. I'm this way on Sunday, I'm that way, I'm not. You know, so I try to bring it to you good, bad, and ugly. This is what it is. This is what it means to live by faith. This is what it means to walk this out. This is what it means to struggle. This is what it means to, go, to, to, to make this happen. So the barriers to the people you're walking is the unfamiliar barrier. So you've got to realize they're going to feel unfamiliar. So you've got to help them with that. When you're going to feel like lack of acceptance, listen, just come, what should I wear? I don't know. I don't have a church dress. I don't have a, you know, I don't have a tiara. You know, I mean, I don't have a suit. I can't come. Just, dude, come as you are. Come in shorts, come, whatever. Come like you are. What you're wearing now, you're fine. Come on. Spiritual. There's going to be spiritual opposition. You're going to be amazed. You're going to invite somebody to church, say, why don't you come with me? They're going to go, yeah, okay, pick me up. Then you're going to get a call Sunday morning or they're not going to answer their phone. Right? Or Sunday morning, all hell's going to break loose in their house. Their car won't start. Kids are running around crazy. And the reason is, is that the enemy does not want them in the presence of truth. This is why you have a hard time getting to church on Sundays. Because the devil does not want you in the presence of truth. He wants to keep you right where you are. Because truth is what sets us free. The knowledge and the knowing of the truth is what liberates us. And so it's the same with people who don't know Jesus. The enemy, even Christians that don't know, that, that, have, that have been unchurched, it's the same barrier. There's something's going to go on in their life. Bible says the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this world has blinded their eyes. He wants to keep them in the position that they are. In the, he wants, if they're saved and, they're in, and their life's a mess, okay, he's lost on the salvation side, but he's not going to lose on, on getting their, he's going to keep their life a mess if he can. He's going to make their life a complete and total defeat. So he's going to try to keep them there. People that don't know Jesus, he's going to try to keep them in absolute spiritual darkness for as long as he can. You've got to realize that these are the things that are happening. So when the person doesn't show up or there's all this stuff going on, there's a reason. They either feel unfamiliar, if they're willing, they feel like they're not going to be accepted. We're covering that. And then we pray to overcome the spiritual. We pray to overcome the spiritual. I don't let people give me an excuse. You say, I don't want to come. Well, we're coming anyway. I'm going to get you. I'm coming, I'm, I'll be there in 20 minutes. I used to have a van. I used to, back in the day, I used to drive around. I'd have to beat on people's doors. You said you're coming. Come out here. Listen, man. You know, do, yeah, you don't want me to go. Yeah, it happened. Uh, create, everybody say this to me. Create a list. Okay, so what I want you to do, because we're going to partner with the Holy Spirit. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit. Just say, Holy Spirit, show me the five people that you want me to identify. Just let him show it to you. 
They may be people you don't have any clue about, but let him show it to you. If you don't get it immediately, that's fine. Just go home. The Lord's going to start highlighting people to you. You're going to meditate on it, and the Holy Spirit's going to start showing you. I want you to write this person. I want you to write that person. Don't question it. Just write their name down. Don't try to process the whole thing. Next slide. Five people, what I want you to do is I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray. This is a prayer. You can take a picture of this prayer. I did my best to write a prayer that maybe I'll try to, in the slides, maybe we'll send it out in the email. But if you want to, you know, so I want you to take that list and I want you to pray for them. This is a simple prayer. And pray for them not once. Pray this prayer every week. Pray it daily if you're so inclined. But pray this prayer. If you've got better prayers than the one I wrote, then go for it. Right? I'm not prejudiced to my own prayers. If you've got a better, well, I can pray better than that, Pastor. Well, then just, hey, have at it. But the truth is, most people don't know how to pray or how to even begin. So we try to put a simple prayer up there for you to understand. So pray it weekly, and then watch what the Lord does. Watch what he does. There's not been one person that I have ever asked God to create a bridge to that he's not created it. Not one. The people that I don't have bridges with are people that I have not prayed for. I haven't asked God to give me a bridge. I got God highlighting some people in my life right now. And I know he's highlighting them to me. And I, there's one particular person in, in general, and I feel like I've never asked God to give me a bridge. But I know when, he gives, when I ask God to give me a bridge, he's going to give me a bridge into that person's life. Every person I've ever asked God to create a bridge, and do you know why that is? Because he loves people way more than you do. He wants to reach them way more than you do. Jesus gave his life for this cause. He gave his body, he gave his soul, he gave his spirit, he gave everything for this cause. So he wants to reach them more than you do. So you have to be intentional. So let's just say it together. Lord, I commit myself to you as your ambassador. I set these names before you as future heirs of your kingdom. I ask that you would open their hearts and make them receptive to the gospel. I ask that you would create bridges in their life for me to cross over. I ask for boldness, courage, and sensitivity to your spirit. I choose to view the people I encounter as my assignment. I will use what I have. I will cross the chicken line. Come on. And I will believe you for the rest. You believe that? Make that commitment. We'll send it out in the email. I send the slides out to, I'll probably send Shelly the slides. You'll get the email this week. I'll, I'll ask her to include that as a prayer. But your job is to write down five people and begin to pray. Say, so what do I invite them to? We got family portraits on November 12th. There's an invitation. We have a Christmas Eve service. There's another invitation. I have an invitation right here. I don't know what to. <laughs> There's lots of opportunities for you to do that. So just believe God for the invitation. Look for the opportunity. All right? So let's pray. Let me bless you. Let's pray this. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, I'm going to show you what this looks like. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he's risen from the dead, that you'll be saved. It's as simple as taking a heart step, the opening of your heart and the binding of your words in agreement. The Bible says if you open your heart, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll open it, I'll come in. He'll forgive you, he'll cleanse you, he'll give you hope, he'll restore you. And if that's you this morning, the church, we're going to pray together and just pray this prayer along with us. Just open your heart. Just say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior 
and I need a Savior. I may not understand it, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. In all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. And let me bless you one more time. Come on. Let me bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. And may you forever live in his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you.